Hello everyone, welcome back to C3 Panel. This is a comic book and graphic novel review and discussion podcast. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Forever by Asia Petrotelli and Sergio Riccardi. And my special guest today is Gareth Hopkins. Gareth is an artist and comics creator best known for his abstract comics work. He's probably best known for his work at Petrocore. Is it Petrochore or Petrocore? I've been saying Petrocore. So yeah. I'm hoping it's Petricor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his uh, comic Petricor, as well as the ongoing project, The Intercostal. He's currently working on a short story collection with sections of the book being released as they are complete called Moon Puke, Nothing, uh, A Hill to Cry On, A Hill to Cry Home and yeah. The Bones of the Sea, amongst others. How are yeah. you doing, Gareth? Yeah, I'm, I'm really well. Yeah. Good. We're going to be talking about Forever today. I want to thank NetGalley for the advanced review copy. This is being published in English by Europe Comics, and it's the, the script is by Asia Petrocelli. Uh, she was born in Naples, and she's got a long list of like Italian television credits. And the the, the artist is Sergio Riccardi, who again was born in Naples, and he first collaborated with Essia on the graphic novel Katavi Rigazi or Bad Girls in English, which I think from the description of, of what I've read has been quite a well-regarded comic. So Gareth, let's get straight into it. Before I do that, I should actually probably read out the blurb so people <laughs> roughly know what the comic is about before we get into it. So the, the blurb forever reads as follows. Uh, what is love? Everyone talks about. Viola doesn't know yet, but it's a question she's asking herself more and more because at her, at her age, there's some kinds of problems you feel in the air that you breathe your self-image and the way you think others see you the relationships between you your body the and the other gender couple issues the freedom to follow your aspirations and the need to fit in socially accepted categories on vacation with her parents during the idle hours of the afternoon while everyone's sleeping Viola encounters and experiences that will help her grow as a person and gets answers to the hard questions that everyone has to face sooner or later and she will reshape her identity in a summer she'll never forget so I think that gives a good explanation it's a coming of age story let's get straight into what immediately grabbed you about the comic when you first saw it I think the first thing that I noticed and I'll, it was that it wasn't for me so yeah okay uh, <laughs> And and when I say not for me, I don't mean it's bad. I think it's I think it's good. Uh, I just mean as a forty year old man, a YEA ish coming of age story about a teenage girl isn't necessarily. I'm not the audience for it. Is what I have clumsily tried to say. And so when I first started it, started reading through and reading it digitally means that the blurb, which is the first thing you'd normally read, is the last thing you read because it's at the end of the PDF. So I just sort of went into this cold, page by page, panel by panel, and finding out what it was about as I went and. And so I initially found it quite challenging to work out what I felt about it. And I don't know how you felt reading it. But when I first read it, I was like, I don't know what what there is to say about this. It's it's got it's like quite a leisurely pace. There's no. And so I got to the end. I was like, well, that, that was that was that that was it was all right but then when i went back for a second read through just make notes and and check of my opinions basically i found it it opening up to me a lot more in terms of structure in terms of what it's the themes it's exploring and it did definitely open up on the second read through for me what how did you find it one of the things that did immediately grab me about it was the artwork so that it plays around with different art styles a little bit and I always quite enjoy that where you the internal 
monologue, which is represented as as diary entries of of the main character Viola, is contrasted with the real world. And there's what I really enjoyed. There's a panel, a, a layout, ten pages in where Viola is looking at herself in the mirror, rather disappointed with what she sees, yeah. and that that's what grabbed me about yeah. this. Okay, so this is going to be about a character that's not particularly happy about the way they look. It's all that. I do love stories with feet that feature teen teen angst. Um, right. Even though I'm 40 years old, that's um, <laughs> something that I still uh, think about quite a lot. I don't, I don't know how many people recovered from their teenage years. I'm not too sure I have yet. So you just those, don't, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, it's just stories about that period in, in someone's life do interest me quite, quite a bit. Yeah, and I suppose in that is that it's set in the 90s, and it took me a little while again to, to twig that it was like firmly set in the mid 90s, uh, and the, the references are from there as well. And so uh, it sort of like dawned on me how similar this was to like although i don't have the exact experiences and i was never a teenage girl in terms of her relationships with people and the what she was drawing off culturally it it felt very familiar and it felt relatable i agree with that it took me a while to twig on that it was in in the 90s i didn't actually realize until they started playing i say playing they started featuring the the, the blur song as a oh yeah. it's a period piece yeah oh okay that makes a lot more sense no one's that's why no one's using mobile phones and all yeah. these other things that uh, <laughs> It sounds weird to say that the 90s is, is a period piece, but yeah. It, it <laughs> I know, it's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. One of the other things I really enjoyed in the comic is, there, I think there's a lot of media, thankfully there's a lot more media these days that feature female teenage friendships. I'm thinking about things like the you know Derry Girls and mm. other kind of sitcoms like that. So I, I quite enjoyed Viola's relationships with her girlfriends that she is, is has gone on holiday with which were Val and... I've written it down. Uh, Renata? Renata, yeah. Val and yeah. Renata. So I quite liked how all of them had their own insecurities and each mm. character had something that the other sort of wanted in a different way. And I did think it was interesting how they were... In a way, it's frustrating that they're just sort of placeholders for the themes. Yeah. So one of the major themes is body confidence and ideas of what love is. Yeah. And so each of those three characters is like a distinct idea of how you feel about your body and what your opinion of what love is. They, they, and they're sort of standings for that. And so in a way, that's frustrating because it's very structured and it could feel artificial. But you're right in the fact that their relationship with each other is really strong and really well told. And it's sort of it's nice to spend time with them because what you often get with teenage girls in media is that they're bitchy yes and i'm sure they are in real life yeah. but in this they're not and they get on really when they support each other which is it's just nice to spend time with them on the page there's a couple of sequences where i think that really plays out the first sequence where they go to the nightclub and they're kind of singing together so you get a real sense that you know these are that, you know they're friends that enjoy spending time in each other's company then there's there's another sequence slightly later on where they're talking about their first sexual experiences and the girls are kind of licking ice cream cones rather <laughs> suggestively and they just start bursting out giggling as they notice that they're you know there's uh, some boys watching them and i i really enjoyed that sequence i yeah. found it kind of i uh, thought it was funny yeah in terms of the, the, the other themes it's a coming of age story it's set in the summer so we, we're going to have the obvious family dynamics mm. girl has got quite challenging relationship with a mother it would have been really easy to make that i was going to say play-doh that's not the right word my my vocabulary has escaped me it kind of um broad uh, stroke that the, the mother's kind of just out of order just a mean yeah. person but that's not really the case 
here i don't think it's just you know that the mother's got certain it's what the story is about expectations that other people have for themselves mm. and those around him her mother's got certain expectations of how she believes her daughter should behave yeah. so, and I, I, I quite liked how that relationship developed as well yeah and so and one of the great things about it is so because you get to see viola's diaries and how she portrays her mother in those diaries is sort of that, like this yelling like evil almost like demonic woman and then you get to see them outside of that uh, both like how they interact to each other and then the mother by herself there's there's one scene where she's like trying on a dress but can't find the shoes that she wanted to put on with them yeah because they, that would make the like the perfect outfit and so it's like between her and her son and then there's another instance where she's um she's sunbathing and like trying to get tr- like trying to attract the male gaze yeah while she's sunbathing and they sort of give her a fragility that if you just saw it through viola's eyes i don't think you'd like the mother character yeah but you sort of where she makes decisions and where she acts in certain ways you see where it's coming from uh and then there's that scene it's i think it's towards the end of the book where she's trying to convince viola to um wear a dress that she's bought for her yeah uh it's like it's not said but it is clear that the reason that the mum's trying to get her to wear it is because she's trying to push her her desire for youth onto viola yeah I, that's I, how i yeah, read that's, it anyway. yeah that's kind of how not just her idea of youth but kind of her idea of what a young lady should be i think she complains yeah. quite often throughout the book about viola kind of dressing like a tomboy and mm. that sort of thing so i think th- th- there's also that at play as well yeah. yeah, she and there's that there's a bit really early on when Viola like turns the seat around to sit down on it, which is like a really nineties way <laughs> to sit down on a chair. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and thinking about it now, it's like oh, because that's how like and I'm I'm doing it air quotes. You can't see them. Cool people yeah. to sit on a backed chair. You turn it backwards and then sit. Yeah, with the back of the chair against your chest. Um, well, cool and people now they know and Williams William Riker from um, Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as well well i was thinking specifically of saved by the bell yes like Zach, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zach used to use chairs like that and it's just like a it's such a um like fake way of using a chair like you you're sitting like that for effect um and i think it's quite nice that viola does that as a, as a way of sort of asserting herself yeah as with a lot of common age stories this is a story about someone trying to find the courage to assert slowly the person they want to 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 become and mm. you know part of that is a viola's viola's relationship and i'm going to give i'm going to give a go at uh, pronouncing the love interest's name i believe it's pronounced arenio yeah arenio yeah, yeah that's, that's how i've had yeah. yeah um who i think is quite an interesting i think he's he comes of initially off as kind of quite a cold fish he's he's not really interested in talking to the touristy girls he kind yeah. of sees them as like almost like a parasitic in, uh, invasion of his Absolutely, his yeah. uh, of of his town and yeah I, I really like the way he say like I, I found it quite compelling kind of their their relationship how cold he could come off at some times mm-hmm. and that's kind yeah. of a a character trait that um goes throughout their relationship i think there's one bit where they had kind of having having they have a fallout and he simply says to her, you can go now. And I thought, wow, dude, that's that's cold, man. That's cold. So yeah. I quite enjoyed um that aspect of his character. 
Yeah, because I think he understands the power of taking attention away from somebody, uh, and he but he's good at using it. That um, the other sort of Fabrizio is the boy that Viola thinks that she's in love with at the start of the book, and you sort of know as soon as you see like her drawing of him that he's going to be a wrong one somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but um, he tries to use that power as well on her. And it just like backfires totally. Whereas, uh, yeah, I really like Arenio. Having because I grew up in a seaside town in in Wales, it's not as uh, as glamorous as, as this Italian one. But I I can understand where he's coming from. Like you're seven months out of a year, like the town is yours and it's your space, and and then some people just come in and take it while they're there, treat it like theirs, and then leave again. And it does like it is it does affect you as a person. And so I really related with him. Yeah, and I really liked him as a character as well. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was fleshed out. And what what this book does really well is it doesn't is it always shows and never tells. And I didn't quite get that at first. How because there's no, there's no captions in it. There's speech bubbles, but there's no like thought bubbles, and there's no captions saying where people are. It's just constantly revealing itself to you. Yeah, I think the the, the only slight kind of exceptions to that is they do play you know there's music does feature quite heavily yeah, in this book right. and it yeah. would have been really nice i think a lot of it's in the uh italian lyrics yeah. and i think that does slightly play into the emotions you think the characters are, are supposed to be feeling at the time i think yeah and it's one of the drawbacks of the translation process i guess is that they they put the the italian song in there and then put asterisks saying what the song is and who it's by and Without googling, it, I'd have no. I, I didn't Google it, but I don't know what that song is, and I don't know. And so until they like, they've got that whole page where they recreate the um, boys, boys and girls video from Blur. Yeah. And until they'd done that, like, the music didn't make an effect on me. It was just stuff that was there, and it wasn't creating attention or emotion. It wasn't putting you anywhere. Hmm. You, you do miss out some of those cultural cues kind of what's the cultural significance of this would this have like a, a bigger impact if i knew kind of if i was if i was born and raised in in italy you know are there kind of like subtle cues that this is going to be leading us down a, a certain path and things like that mm. so yeah you're, you're talking a little bit about the the, the coastal uh you know living in the coastal town. the other thing that i really enjoyed about their relationship uh specifically is how he acts as her guide to all these hidden yeah. glories of, of, of the seaside resort kind of shows her where these beautiful flowers are and where there's like this nesting eagle. And there's a little bit of social, there's, there's quite a bit of social commentary throughout the, the book. But I think my favorite bit was where they're at the abandoned nightclub and there's a, a nesting eagle there. And he's just, yeah, some idiot developers just kind of like put this off and they didn't have they didn't have the right permits to finish it and i just think that's kind of like true everywhere in the world they're yeah. idiot developers putting up buildings and not necessarily having the, you know the right paperwork or safety protocols and taste and stuff like that yeah is, is that like quite familiar to your experience growing uh, up well uh, not where i grew up but yeah. you can sort of see it in like having visited resort towns you can see where where those like massive hotels have gone up and shopping malls and stuff how it how they remove from from that place by adding these modernities in it sort of removes the character of them um, yeah 
yeah. think yeah, I think that's it's that it's that tricky balance. Probably getting slightly off topic in terms of you want <laughs> you want you want uh, a place to be economically viable, like successful, but you still want it to retain the character that makes it yeah. um, an enjoyable place for local to people to live in as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, one of those. Because there's uh, like the economic argument for it. So and Arinio says it, it used to be a, like a fishing town, but now they just rely on tourism, and so. In order to rely on tourism, you've got to attract tourists, and what attracts tourists is the stuff that removes the character from your town. And so it's they're, they're stuck in that halfway place, which I think reflects on because um, Viola and Arinio's relationship exists in this sort of uh, I'm going to use the word liminal because <laughs> even yeah. everyone hates the word liminal, but it exists in this sort of like it just between two and four o'clock in the afternoon when everybody else has gone to bed. That's when they meet, and that's where their relationship flourishes and so they're, they're they're in that little capsule of time and i think by setting this story in the 90s where the town that they're visiting is stuck in that capsule as well it's sort of halfway between being the old fishing resort and halfway between being an over overdeveloped tourist trap yeah and um, i think just building on what you're saying there, and i think that also kind of builds on where viola is in terms of her progression as being a child into a young adult into a young adult that's kind of finding their own voice absolutely as well yeah, yeah. i just want to speak a little bit about kind of some of the other characters that kind of help mm. her on a journey i loved loved lily and paola i thought they were <laughs> fantastic kind of the two the two aunts that you kind of like want in your life to you know say to embarrass you to, to kind of guide you and yeah. you know impart wisdom upon you as well yeah i really like those characters and it's always like it was interesting how because you get introduced to them of like before they actually appear when um they're all the, the teenagers are talking about like those two crazy ladies uh and they like because it's the 90s i guess and they're teenagers they can't quite work out if they're friends or if they're in relationship or what and then you meet them and they're just in this lovely relationship where they're like they're codependent and they're sort of like adventuring with each other and yeah it was again it's like people who it, it's nice to spend time with it was nice at like their little carrot like the little world that they create for themselves with like uh, cocktails and in their caravan and stuff it was really nice the, the banter they have between themselves and yeah. and viola as well i think is, is quite nice we haven't talked a lot about the art i thought this was a gorgeous book to look at i they i don't have to describe they do something with the the coloring that gives it a really a real sense of heat and summer yeah. and, and brightness and i'm not i don't have the vocabulary to kind of describe <laughs> how they do that so i was wondering maybe if you could make you maybe talk a little bit oh, about I that I could try it, and I mean, and I don't know how to, but you're right. They, the way that color is used is really effective in sort of making it feel, yeah, making it feel hot. But it doesn't rely on sort of cliches of that. So it's not like everything's washed out. Just the color choice is really deliberate and really clever. Uh, it, and even when in the nighttime scenes, like the color, and they they keep to simple color palettes, but seem to make it work in a way that I'm not. I'm not clever enough to work out. Yeah, I think it's something to do with the way they're using kind of light and shadows. I'm just yeah. kind of, even the, the nighttime scenes, it looks like a summer night. And it's kind of, you can kind yeah, of you're right. it's like Absolutely, a hot yeah. summer night. And there's something about the, the, the way they, they're using the shadows yeah. there. And they don't use kind of like the, the real obvious ways of kind of showing that something sort of just, you know, beads of sweat mm. on everyone and that sort of thing. And they don't really fall fall into that trap it's kind of i say trap um kind of they don't use they they don't use that technique and i love the, the line work in this is 
as well as kind of really beautiful, beautifully simply inked line. Everything's it's not over over stylized or over detailed. They just I love it when you've got those simple clean lines that are just yeah. they they use so effectively just to kind of give the outline and characters to the to to the to the faces and and to the bodies. Yeah, you're right, and I I, love, I really like the way because it's sort of. It come, seems to come from like an animation. Like people who come into comics from animation have a particular style, like a fluidity to their drawing. I, I guess it's because they're trained to draw from one picture to the next, and so they're good at sort of keeping th- keeping the drawing in motion even when it's still. And uh, I, the, the eyes I find really good as well, like the expressions on their faces. They're, they're exaggerated, but not. It's cartooning, but it's not cartoony. If that makes sense. Some of the expressions are kind of quite quite subtle. So usually, sometimes it's just like a raise of an eyebrow hmm. or a frown, or they do. There's a lot of really nice work where the characters are gazing off at something and or gazing away from something, and you kind of you, you get that whole uh, kind of range of emotions from guilt to desire, and just you know just simply playing around with those facial expressions was really was really charming and um yeah. effective for me is there anything else that you've kind of noted down while reading it so the pacing i found a li- and, and i don't know if it's a problem or not but it's just something that i noticed as i was reading is that scene transitions happen at the end of the page and it's not a problem but because I've noticed it, maybe it is, is because, and what I mean is that if you think of it as a, like a film script, like location, daytime, blah, blah, the, the scene transition happens between two pages every time. And there's, there's never a time when that scene, ha- the change happens on the page. And that does a weird thing to the pacing of the comic as well. So there's certain sections, which I sort of felt like they were very, very decompressed. And, and it's the same thing that, that that I got through reading a lot of this book is that when I first did it, I was like, oh, get on with it. Like, uh, there's, there's a scene where she sees Irenio like walking through the empty streets and she follows him. And that, the sequence where she follows him takes five pages, which seem, seemed extreme at a time. But now that we've been talking about it, I think it's just to encapsulate that sort of like, that liminal feeling to like really show you that there's no one else around and it, it contrasts really well nicely to the other scenes where uh you see um viola and her family walking through the city and it's really busy and they can't move and they can't see anything because there's so many people jammed in so there's that so i think i wrote it down as a negative but i actually think it's a positive now yeah um <laughs> but yeah. The, the other thing is that the story for me, I, re- I was really engaged in the story by the end, but then it wraps up too quickly. Like all the ends just like not off really quickly. And so uh, all the characters have their own journeys. And then within the last five pages, they all stop. Yeah. Whereas before you've like the, the characters are given time to sort of develop. And then it's just like, um, and I don't want to do spoilers or anything, but it, everything gets tied off and really a bit too neatly. Yes, I would agree with that. It's it kind of there is a pacing issue with this. Is kind of it does take its leisurely time and then kind of like boom, summer's over, sort of thing, and then kind of everyone's um, heading heading back home again. Not to get too much into spoilers, there is one action. The parents, you know, Viello's parents, Mm. do something to her that I felt was kind of a little bit out of character Mm. and wasn't signposted before. And I don't know whether that's just parents in the 90s might have done that a little bit more often, mm. but um, my parents certainly wouldn't have done that 
to me. And yet again, I felt that that could have done with a little bit more breathing room. It's, it's a fairly long comic. You know, the PDF that I've got is 171 mm. pages. So it's, it would, I feel it could have maybe done with uh, someone in editorial kind of looking over it again and just saying, can we move, move some of these, take some of these sequences out? Can we shorten some of them? Can we lengthen? Yeah, some of them there as well. And so there's these big one, like big page splashes, and some a few of them I thought I can sort of see the thinking behind them. So there's there's one which is just like it's a full page of them singing karaoke together, and there's another full page where it's them dancing around a bonfire, and it sort of feels like you could have broken those up and and used more of that page to give you some space at the end of the book to to let things open up a little bit. But that's so tricky. That and it's so tricky. very overly harsh because yeah it is a, it's a it's a quality book and it, it for the most part it uses time really well it does do some of things like it does use some storytelling techniques that you can only kind of like get away with in well that can are, are only really used in in comic books i'm just you know thinking back to the the first sequence where they're kind of lining up and there's like a clock on the wall, a cl- yeah. clock you know it's, a, you know it's two two blank pages and there's just this line snaking from one corner of the double-edged uh, uh, spread in this uh, S formation mm. to to the end, and I, I really I would have liked it if they'd done a little bit more with that. But yeah, it's, absolutely, it's, it's, I agree because yeah. that's at the start of the book, and it's a big statement to make to use that much negative space to to illustrate a cue, and then they don't bring that style back again. Um, yes, yes, it would have been nice if they, they they played around a little bit more. That have you read In by Will McPhail? No, I don't think so. It is my book of the year and kind of that thing that you mentioned about using negative space. Mm. He, he does that really uh, almost um, overindulgently uh, at some points, but he uses that really effectively. And that's it's, it's one of those, you know, uh, myself and Cole spoke about it at length in, a, in an earlier episode. It's, mm. it's, it's a remarkable achievement. And I highly recommend everyone okay, goes out and uh, buys it. But again, he, he, you know, that's, that's a story that could only have been told in the comic book format and i would have i would have liked more of that in this you know we've been chatting about it for about 30 minutes i really i really enjoyed it i i really liked it i think um if you're looking for a, a coming of age story this is this is really rather sweet and there are engaging characters in there and it's it's gorgeously illustrated as well i don't know if you've got any kind of like closing thoughts uh, no I, I agree with you as i said when i first read it it wasn't it wasn't ticking my boxes of what I would sit down and choose to read, but in terms of hitting all its marks and being like really well executed, I think it's a it's a really strong book. Yeah, so that's a recommendation from both of us. Mm. Uh, Europe Comics they do so much good work in terms of bringing uh, English language translations of, of these uh, kind of European albums or, or graphic novels to, to, to you know to, to English language speaking countries. Please check out check out their store and. Buy, buy stuff from them i just i think we all become richer when we we get access to you know works from italy spain germany and you know, the, the other countries that they're that they that they work so hard to um bring these graphic novels from so let's let's talk a little bit about um what you've been up to uh gareth thank yeah. you so much for for sending over sending over the, you know the, the the comics that you i think you did. i sent um uh, petrico nothing and bones of the sea i think they're the ones yes yeah and uh, i really enjoyed those i want to say i think uh, i've been following you on twitter for 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 some time and i want to say i can't remember where i I first met you 
but I think it was either at the Crouch End um, Comic Book Festival or it was at the Electrocomics um, oh, maybe, uh, Symposium yeah. at Hertfordshire University. Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't, uh, <laughs> hadn't tweaked, but yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, so I can't for the life of me remember what your <laughs> what your talk <laughs> yeah, kind of which one it was or what your if it was at the, the, the symposium, what your talk was about. <laughs> um I I didn't do a talk at Electric yeah. Comics. Yeah. Um my friend Matt did. Oh, okay. And um Crouch End uh I'm trying to think if I did Crouch End. I don't think I did. Okay, it must I have been probably, at probably the... met at Electric Comics then. Yes, yeah. So it yeah. was uh, quite quite some um that was time ago yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's a shame that you know that app didn't um uh, take off because it yeah. had a kind of a lot of potential but amazon and <laughs> their well, solutions yeah. and stuff like that is is always going to be kind of a quite quite a um quite a big and it's a pity ask. that the the sample comics that they developed for that so, and if anybody hasn't heard of electric comics it was um uh john Reppy and liam moore with the help of alan moore we're trying to make it like a platform for electric for electric comics for ele- like digital comics where you could include custom coding and animations and stuff. And so the sample comics that they made were were really good. But now that the platform's gone, you just can't. I don't think you'd be able to read them now. So yeah, I don't think. Know. I think yeah, which is a shame because they did they they played around with a lot of interesting ideas of how you could use tablet devices to tell different stories, different ways of uh, animating things, different ways of, you know, using sequential arts to tell interesting stories. So it's, 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 it's a shame that it never, um, it, it wasn't kind of the success we, you know, that it, that, that it should have been. There were some really brilliant creators using it as well. Yeah. You, you make a lot of uh, abstract comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just wondering what drew you to that, to that, to that style. Why, 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 why abstract uh, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I think so. My sort of background in reading is is 2000 AD and Marvel comics. Those are like my reference points, or they were my reference points. And then I did the usual thing when you're like late teen of sort of like putting comics down and just looking at other stuff. I went away to uni to do film and TV and stuff, and then really got into art and really into Dada and surrealism and stuff. And so as an artist that's what was influencing me um but then comics became a medium to sort of work out those influences so i started making abstract comics essentially sort of like trying to re my influences were dada and surrealism and that's what i was going for and and it's down to space as well the reason i started working them because you can make a comic on an a4 sheet of paper whereas you can't and, and it carries a sort of the same weight as a painting, whereas paintings take up a lot of space and need resources to, to do them. And, and so that, that's where I got into comics. And then it sort of developed organically from there. So once I'd started making comics, I got back into reading comics in a big way because it, after a year or so of making them, it felt like I wasn't being honest to the medium. And so I got really back into comics, started redrawing comics pages, which I found interesting as part of sort of like my my process um and then i've just got to where i am now just through through trying out new things every time but i I think it's always good to try and push a medium to its boundaries and see what works and what doesn't work i'll be honest with you when i first opened up some of them i found it quite challenging Mm. to kind of understand what was going on but i once i made 
and I don't know if you'll appreciate this change in perspective, but once I started thinking about them less as stories told sequentially and more as um, uh, poems with visual elements, they worked a lot better for me. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, and because the way that I've started to use the comics page is less of like a narrative panel by panel and more of an atmosphere and like you can create pace on the page using uh paneling and layout of letters and stuff like that and and color and and density and use a negative space all that stuff but yeah i'm not that the story isn't being propelled by the images that's that's really interesting that you mentioned about the pace of the of the comic book because that is something i actually noticed myself kind of like speeding up and slowing down mm. uh depending on how many uh panels were on the page where where the word you know kind of where you placed the the, the word balloons and things like that so mm. it's it's quite interesting that uh that one of the things kind of going back to the uh the comic book symposium was mm. the, the unique uh, attraction to comics is that you control the pace at which the story is being told to you and you you play around that as well even with um with abstract comics as well uh yeah because there's just a toolkit in comics which if once you're sort of aware of it you use it and so my early comics when i first started doing the intercostal i was just like the panel layouts were just like what would be an interesting set of shapes to put on the page without any sort of thought of of pacing or of density or anything like that um and then the sort of the more i got myself involved with comics and um obviously really understanding comics by Scott McCloud is a big thing as well you sort of like learn the tool set that um from going back to that um uh, electrocomic symposium I remember there was a talk from some people who had used eye tracking to see where people um read comics they did this big scientific study to like and they were like, if you put this on a page, then we can scientifically prove that the eye would go there. And Dave Gibbons was sat on the same row as me. And you could sort of just like, Dave Gibbons knows how to do that. He knows how to make a comic because it's a set of skills you build. And if you're good at them, then you can you use them like that. You don't, do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. a tool set that you can use. Um, yeah, I, 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 I sort I re- of play with that a little bit. Yeah, I remember if I remember those guys. I think they, they, they were kind of from like an animation studio. Or something that they were trying to do something with like motion comics, which I I don't think ever really work. I don't think motion comics no. ever really work. No. It's kind of like this weird halfway house between a, a you know, say a proper comic and an animation, and I think you need to decide which camp that you're going to be on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that they were kind of trying to use scientific data to justify some of the artistic decisions that they made, which I think is kind of almost the wrong way around. Yeah. I think you yeah. should kind of, yeah, yeah. I, so once I'd kind of made that switch, I did kind of start enjoying them a lot, a lot more. I really enjoyed, uh, uh, I found that a really touching, touching read. Did you mention that? Can you, yeah. So there's, there's one question I wanted to kind of, um, ask about mm. that. What does vent axia me because when i googled it a ventilation company yeah no that's what it is that's what (laughs) it is and so um uh it's it's a petrichor when i wrote it it was like a a very organic way of writing and so i'd I'd made the i'd made 86 pages of comics or whatever um and i sort of when i had them i was like these will work best if there's words on them people will read it if there's words on it whereas 
uh, and that there are people who just like wordless comics but I think those people are very brave to make a wordless and, comic. It takes ages and people just finish reading it in like, like two seconds. And if it's, it's an just, abstract yeah, one, you're yeah, right. People yeah. just flick through and they don't stop. So I wanted to stop them on the page for a while. And so I, when I started writing, I was writing in non sequiturs. I was just like putting these little bits of broken text on on the page and building it up. And then while I was doing that, um, a friend of mine died. And I, I, like she had been ill for a long time. I knew it was coming, but it really hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And so a lot of the non-sectors that I was writing down, these little flashes of stuff, I, I put into Petricor, knowing that they had a meaning, but not knowing what that meaning was. Uh, and then Ken Reynolds, I don't know if you've met him or not, but he's uh, an editor and letter, and he's really, he's really good at this sort of stuff. He was like, well, it's like when you're in a hospital bathroom and you're just staring at stuff and you can't quite, understand what you're looking at and so you just make a note of it and so vent axia kimberly cluck they're just like hygiene products that you would find around you yeah um and so and they went in as just like things which are there which you're trying to make sense of and and it's interesting that that's that's sort of how they've worked like you you didn't know why they were there and you couldn't make sense of them uh, and it's the same with a reference um, dominoes and Argos appear as yeah. well, just because they were things that as I was sort of like making my way through grief, they were just like things which were just constantly there and like trying to make sense of what those things meant was just like, I'll capture it. And then if it means something, I'll come back to it. And, and then there's also um, one of the themes is like, not one of the themes, but one of the things I address in it is like not one to, to be boring. And so a way that I like I I am boring in the book is just to talk about really banal things like Domino's Pizza, like Argos. They're, they're just ways of being boring. I found it kind of quite touching the way it kind of explores grief and how it's grief in a weird way is it's not like a linear experience. Mm. As, you, know, you know, certainly recently I've, I've, I've lost uh, people close to me recently and it's it's not a linear experience because it kind of colors the memories of of them that you had before the event happened if you if you know what i mean so i I think that you know it definitely touched on that quite quite a bit and kind of you know i don't it's just my interpretation kind of how you could have gone down different paths and yeah different experiences and stuff like that as well i think some of us because it took a year to write on and off and there's not a lot of writing in it but it took me that long to sort of like process enough to write it and i'm not used to writing either oh i wasn't at the time and so um i think as i said the thing the sort of text i was collecting and the, the observations i was collecting were very much colored by by that feeling of grief and so while i was trying to work out why i was feeling grief and also whether i had earned the whether i'd earned the um experience of grief whether i'd been a good enough friend that was everything in there was colored by it uh and then there's obviously towards the end of the book like it just changes like make um make a choice to to not color my experience that way anymore i, I got quite a lot of from from that one and then the other one that i really enjoyed was moon puke which <laughs> yeah. um i think uh is it's I, d- I don't know how to describe it it kind of for me it had a very british sense of humor yeah about it it's kind of I don't want to say like Monty Python, but there's kind of like this weird satirical thing going on yeah. in there. So I quite enjoyed, I quite enjoyed that as well. So how did, how did that, how did the concept for that come about? Um, so that was, it's a really weird one. So um, 
one one of the ways that I work is to sort of collect discarded paper and so being at home with two kids there's a lot of paper that just gets started and then not finished so and it's either going to go in the recycling or I take it and then I'll do something with it and so my daughter had been given like a travel spirograph set which comes with these little a5 pages and she she tried to do some spirograph stuff it didn't work she didn't like it and so I was like, right, I'll take those. You can't get rid of them. And then on a whim, I put a staple in and it turned them into a book. And then I just started drawing over the top of it over and over and over again. And I sort of built up this rule of only spend 10 seconds, like use one tool, 10 seconds per page, go from one end of the book to the other, and then pick up another tool and do the same thing. And so that's how like the artwork of that built up. It's this little A6 booklet, which is all mashed up. Um, it's done with highlighter pens and like all bits of crap. Um, my nephew just sort of scribbled on it a bit and so that was that and I knew that but I knew that that was like a sort of a document of something and I could use it as something I didn't know what and then I got in my head that I had a story to tell about car parks and it's not just about car parks it's also like people's relationships with car parks how how that and it's sort of I, I sort of make it as clear as I can throughout the book, like through me, like metaphor but also action, like that commuting is like if you, if you are commuting, then car parks are really special places. <laughs> um, yeah. Um. And and so I knew that I had this story to tell, and it's sort of developed. And so a lot of although it's called it, it's like about a man called Jonathan is very much about me at the same time. Lots of it is autobiographical. So like the, the the 10 or so pages I deal like describing his commute and like having to find different places to park his car. That's just like direct from life. Um, yeah. Um, but then there's others. And then so I've sort of added stuff onto that to sort of um, there's, and so there's the elements of it, which is really autobiographical and like saying about, uh, how commuting can color a life and then on top of that i just wanted to sort of like add in this weird like mystical element to it and so there's the, and the whole mirror stuff uh to describe how how isolated that and so the, the character jonathan although he's got my experiences is not like me um, yes i'm glad <laughs> <laughs> um and so, but yeah, and so I put in this like the the magic realism element of it, which is sort of a th- a, and I think I've uh, intentionally sort of downplayed that at the start to create a twist at the end, which yeah, and so and so that was there, and which makes it really difficult to talk about because it, it has got a twist ending. Yes, um, I didn't want to like, talk too much about the plot, but that's kind of one of the reasons why I kind of quite enjoyed it. Just keeping um, a, a little bit of an eye on the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for sending me those comics. Kind of like, it's nice to have your pre- preconceptions like challenged about what comics should be and um, having to, it's not, your, your work isn't something that I would have normally picked up and read, but having to kind of like um, read those um in preparation for today i can Something tell I found you statistically said, yeah, you're yeah. not alone there are a lot yeah. of other people who have not <laughs> picked up <Yeah>. my work <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was it's quite um it's quite enjoyable to, to to read them once i'd I'm glad. made the, the little switch yeah. in, in my head um 
I just want to give you the kind of opportunity to kind of like talk about any other projects that you're um, uh, working on at the moment, um, any podcasts or um, kick, yeah. Kickstarters or whatever. Yeah. So um, I'm still working on Explosive Sweet Freezer Razors, which Moon Puke and Bones the Sea and Nothing are from. Um, and uh, I mean, I was hoping to have it done in a year and it's been, I'm in my third, second year now at least. So it's going to be a little while. Um, but while I'm working on that, I am for Hackney Comics and Zine Fest, which is happening as we record now as an online festival on Twitter. I've been recording the process of making a comic from scratch. Um, and I'm at the point now where it's called uh, Tuesdays. No, what's it called? I can't remember. Um, if you're on Twitter, then um, I'm updating the thread as I go. Yeah. Um, Tuesday's Salted Curse is what the comic's called. Um, and I'm developing that. And then uh, also as part of Hackney Comic and Zine Fair, um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a panel talk on YouTube, on, on Zoom, sorry, with Peony Gent, uh, Peony Gent, Miranda Smart, and Olivia Sullivan talking about our use of abstraction in comics. And if you go onto the Hackney Comic and Zine Fair YouTube channel, the recording of it is there. So uh, if you did want to hear more about my approach to work and also other people who use abstraction and how we use it differently, then then that's on YouTube to watch as well. That's uh, that's great. And um, uh, Gareth, just let my listeners know where they can find you on the internet, YouTube, yeah. Twitter, all that stuff. So um, on the internet, pretty much everywhere, I am Gerthink, and Gerthink is spelled G-R-T-H-I-N-K, and is short for Gareth Inc., but everybody says G-R-Think. So any, any, so at G-R-Think uh, on Twitter or Instagram, and then my website is www.grthink.com. So... That's that's great. Um, so I'm not too sure what I'm going to be doing for the next episode uh, yet. Uh, it might be a review or I might be interviewing another comics creator. I haven't uh, quite decided yet. Hopefully Cole will be um, back soon and we'll kind of get back into the kind of uh, regular swing of things. Um, if you could please uh, subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you could leave a rating review where you've found us it really does help with the discovery and if you can either kick us some money by uh, using the affiliate link to start your own podcast or if you could uh, use the chip jar in the episode description to send us a five it just helps us keep the lights on um, so that's it guys uh, thank you very much uh, thank you Gareth no thank you and uh, let's say goodbye bye bye